Welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. Joined today by most of the whole crew. Johnny was on briefly right before the start of the podcast on our call, uh, but he's currently working in the ICU, so not able to join us for the whole podcast. We do have Cameron with us. Hi, Cameron. And we have Tim. Tim making his re-entrance into the podcast despite protestations from uh, (laughs) involved parties. What? That's right. Here to provide comic relief and random background noise. <laughs> ah, good. Uh, and then Matt will be doing our, most of our um, presentation today, or most of our subject. Matt's going to be talking to us today. So we did a thermodynamics podcast back, I believe it was sometime in the year 2020. So it's a year and a half ago, maybe-ish. And uh, we discussed lots of thermodynamic laws. But Matt has a follow-up podcast now so we're going to be calling this thermodynamics part two or something along those lines matt's going to talk to us about a few different thermodynamic processes and other related information right matt yes all right well let's kick it off what do you got okay okay so today we're going to talk about a couple concepts in thermodynamics thermodynamics again being the branch of physics that deals with heat and energy transfer and movement, thermo, heat, dynamics, movement, motion, change. And the couple things that we're going to talk about are are really some of the thermodynamic processes and, and what we mean when we talk about a thermodynamic process. Within the realm of heat change and and temperature and and so forth you find that there are a number of factors that are all interrelated that can describe the thermodynamic conditions of a of a system or of a space and and there's a a couple concepts that thermodynamics has formalized uh, that are that are necessary to kind of understand what we're talking about and and the first one is system when we when we talk about a thermodynamic system or space, we're talking about just what we define as our thing that is under consideration. A system can be as small as a subatomic particle. It can be as large as you know galaxies or or universes or whatever. But your your system is is whatever your defined space is. And everything outside the system is called the surroundings. So one of the examples that I'm going to use a lot is a cylinder and piston in your car engine. The system will be the cylinder and the surroundings will be, well, everything outside the cylinder. The next concept is that of states. And when we talk about states, we're talking about a well, a state of being with measurable parameters. Parameters in particular that we care about being pressure, temperature, the amount of mass within the system, the internal energy of the system, things of that nature. The state uh, is, is is defined by the measure of those different variables when the system is at equilibrium. There are a number of equations that you can use to to derive the different variables if you're able to measure 
one or two of these variables, you can use these state equations to determine the other variables. A uh, prime example is an equation called the ideal gas law, where if you have an idealized gas in a bounded system, then the ideal gas law states that the pressure of that gas times the volume of that gas will equal the number of moles of mass that you have times a constant, uh, R, the ideal gas constant, times the temperature of that gas. It's shortened down to P is pressure, V is volume, N is the number of moles, R is the gas constant, and T is the temperature. So the short form is PV equals NRT. It's a very short and easy way to relate pressure, temperature, and volume, and amount of mass all together in a fairly simple equation. And that is a state equation. It defines the, th the thermodynamic factors of, a, of an ideal gas in a system at a given instant. If you can measure a few of those factors, you can derive the other ones. Can I ask two questions? Can I ask yeah. what you mean? Oh, go ahead, Tim. Okay, I'm going to ask, what, what do you mean by ideal or idealized gas? Well, much of thermodynamics deals with idealized states, meaning that we neglect certain types of losses. And I'll get into a little of this later when I talk about the different thermodynamic processes. Um, so, for example, an ideal gas is a gas where I believe the assumption is that uh, molecular collisions are neglected. Well, that doesn't happen. Gases collide all the time, or gas particles do. But at a, an approximation, most gases, including air at sea level, behave in a way that is closely approximated by making ideal gas assumptions. Uh, so if, if you and, and not all gases do this. If if you have certain elements. Um, you know, they they behave differently, but many gases in real life very closely approximate an ideal gas. The thing is, if you use these ideals, and, and we'll talk, uh, I'll, I'll point out more of them as we go along. You can use those as a baseline comparison to what your maximum efficiency or output or productivity should look like, and and that's a good yardstick to to compare against your real world performance. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Excellent. Yeah. I'm glad that you were able to ensure that Tim understood his, the answer to his <laughs> question. That's how we run That's most how. of our things. <laughs> or a low bar. Not sure which. Uh... Yes, uh, I, I had one other question, though. Um, sure. The other one was you said that uh, that you can measure that you can figure out these different um, measurements inside of of, of a state uh, or of a system, and then uh, when it's in equal equilibrium. Yes. That means that if there is heat change, heat transfer, heat change going on, that then obviously then you can't um, figure out what the different uh, elements are. Well, yeah, if you're uh, not in equilibrium, then you're not in a state. But what you can do 
is measure your system uh, in its initial equilibrium state, then do one of the thermodynamic processes that I'm going to talk about on that system, and then measure its state after the process. And you okay. can then compare how those factors have changed, how the pressure has changed, the temperature, the volume. Did you add mass to it? Do you now have more moles of mass than you did before? Uh, all of these things. And if you know some of those factors, then using different state equations, such as the ideal gas law, there are others, uh, then you can determine you know, the, the complete state of your thermodynamic system. Okay. That makes sense. So what are the different processes? Say I have, uh, again, I'll, I'm going to use this example a lot. I have a, a cylinder with a piston in my car engine. Uh, I have all kinds of thermodynamic things happening in there. I, I throw a bunch of mass into it with uh, fuel vapor. I set that mass of fuel on fire, uh, greatly changing the temperature. Um, all of that causes the the gas inside the piston or inside the cylinder to expand which pushes the piston upwards or, or whichever way it's oriented um, uh, thus doing physical work and then at, at the end that piston gets compressed back down the gas that remains inside the cylinder is smushed down together the, it cools because of temperature anyway all of these things happen how can I really, if I'm serious about engineering an efficient piston, I have an interest in knowing the state of my piston throughout that process. I, I want to make sure that the materials that I use are able to withstand the temperatures and the pressures and everything that's going to go on throughout that whole cycle. And so I'm going to use these different state equations uh, to determine what's happening in, in that piston as a result of all of those thermal processes, thermodynamic processes. And let's start and, and let's talk about them. There are seven thermodynamic processes that we're going to talk about. They, uh, and, and they use a bunch of non-layman words, and I'm sorry, I will try to explain them as best I can, but uh, we're dealing with thermodynamics. This is an inherently advanced subject. <laughs> so if you are a thermodynamics professor, please stop listening. Uh, <laughs> you just lost that's, to some of our audience. Uh, I, I sincerely sure hope thermodynamics <laughs> professors are not getting their material from Learn It from a Layman. If you're a thermodynamics student, hopefully the way that I explain this will help you uh, understand intuitively a little more of what the professor is saying. Um that said, you know, learning from the layman is not to be held responsible for any changes, negative or positive, that occur to your grade point average as a result of you listening to this podcast. Well, I think we can be held accountable for positive, you know. I think they should feel indebted, you know. No, just positive change, not negative. <laughs> exactly. Okay, whatever. Um, anyway, seven thermodynamic processes we're going to cover. Uh, adiabatic processes, ice enthalpic processes, that's a great word, isentropic processes, isobaric, isochoric, isothermal, and actually it is just six. I'm not going to talk about steady state processes, I'm sorry. 
Um, so we're just going to cover those six. Um, adiabatic, isenthalpic, isentropic, isobaric, isochoric, isothermal. Well, all of those use some kind of iso isen thing. Uh, and these are processes generally where something is held constant throughout the process. Um, so an adiabatic process, it, it, it's a strange word, but it basically means that no heat or mass is applied to the system from an external force. An isenthalpic process, enthalpy is, is a strange concept, and I'll get into it later, but it essentially means that your internal heat energy of your system remains the same. That's that's a very general idea of it. Isentropic uh, has to do with the entropy of a system, the disorderliness of the system. Uh, this is an idealized process. It doesn't occur in nature, but it's where the disorder of the system at the beginning and the end of the process are the same. Second law of thermodynamics happens to say that that can't happen, but we'll get later. I was going to mention later. that, but I, I yeah. guess that's... Again, uh, this is an idealized yardstick against which you can measure a real-world system's performance against the ideal case. Okay. Um, isobaric, uh, bar from the Greek baros or something. Uh, anyway, pressure, <laughs> constant pressure. Uh, isochoric processes, also known as isometric or isovolumetric, are processes that take place at a constant volume. And then isothermal processes are ones that take place at a constant temperature. So let's talk about each of those, starting with adiabatic processes. Um, adiabatic apparently comes from another Greek word, which means impassable. And this is a, a thermodynamic process where heat, external heat, uh, and external mass are not added to your system. So if we look at our car piston example, let, let's define the beginning state as occurring after we have injected the fuel, after we have ignited the fuel. In fact, in, in the split moment after the fuel is ignited, let's say that's our start point. Uh, and, and at this point, as your, as your car engine is functioning, are you going to add any more mass to that piston? No. No. Are you going to add any more heat energy to that piston? This is after the fuel is ignited, so no. Yes. Yeah, 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 correct. You are not going to add more heat. So from this point, uh, you can have what a ideal. You can have an approximately adiabatic process if you make some simplifying assumptions. So your fuel-air mixture is rapidly expanding inside the piston, inside the cylinder, and pushing on the piston. No mass is coming in, and the only thing that's happening is that you are doing physical work by lifting that piston as the gas expands. And that is approximately an adiabatic process until you reach the apex point of that piston and it starts to compress. So if I define my start state as I've just set my fuel on fire and my end state is I'm at the max uh, 
vertical reach of my piston, assuming my piston is oriented up and down, then you can have an adiabatic approximation of your process. And, and there's different uh, equations that come into play that govern that, all of them tracing back to the different laws of thermodynamics. Uh, see our podcast on that one. Uh, but the first law deals with change in energy of a system where your internal energy, rather the change in your internal energy, equals the energy added minus the work done. So in an adiabatic process, the energy added after I've set my fuel on fire is zero. The work done is the amount uh, of, of work done to raise that piston. And so I have my equation that the change in energy is, is the equal to the amount of work that I did there. Um, it's an a, that's, that's what an adiabatic process is. I've added no heat. I have added no mass. Uh, now, there is a special case of an adiabatic process that would be an isentropic process if you can make it reversible. Reversible meaning that any energy expended to do the work can be completely recovered by undoing the work. So if I launch my piston upward when I explode my fuel, it's going to do some work, right? Now, does the piston stay in that upward position? I hope not. No, it comes back down. So the amount that it comes back down, that's doing negative work. So should you be able to recover the energy from that? Uh, minus some friction? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. In an idealized fictional scenario, if, if I have lubricated the walls of my piston, I, I've, I've slathered Crisco all over it uh, to make <laughs> sure that there's no friction. Do not do this to your car. Is it, now go back yeah. and listen to our car maintenance podcast, but yeah. uh, continue. <laughs> if, if I have an idealized frictionless process, then yeah, I can recover all of the work that I did in my initial adiabatic process. Uh, and because I have recovered all of that energy and all of that work, I, I've, I've really recovered all of the entropy, all of the disorder. Uh, and when we talk about that, where uh, the entropy of the system being the same at the beginning state as at the end state, well, then I have an isentropic process, a process where entropy has not changed from the beginning to the end. And I've now defined my, my endpoint as different. My beginning point was I set my fuel on fire and launched the piston upward. My end point is the piston has come back down to where it was at, at, just after that point of ignition. But as you point out, in the real world, you, you can't have that. You do have friction. You do have loss. You have uh, heat that is generated by the metal parts rubbing against each other. Even when properly oiled, there is always going to be loss. But that said, your the the concept of an isentropic process can be used to give you a picture of what an ideal, frictionless, perfect system should look like and how it should operate and the energy requirements that should go into it. And that can be used as a yardstick to tell you how well your actual design is performing against a theoretical maximum. 
Now, does an isentropic process occur anywhere in nature? Uh, well, well, no, not really. Um, the second law of thermodynamics says that it can't. Again, see our previous podcast. Uh, but in short, the second law says that entropy is always increasing for any real process that anyone cares about. Uh, but those are the first two. An adiabatic process occurs when neither external energy or, or rather external heat and external mass are not added. And an isentropic process is a further idealized adiabatic process that is reversible, such that the entropy at the beginning and the end are the same. So any questions on adiabatic processes or isentropic processes? Tim? No questions as of yet, at least none that can be answered in a reasonably short amount of time. So Thank, uh, that, that fills me with confidence. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, let's talk isobaric processes. Isobaric processes are processes that take place at constant pressure. The, the pressure remains the same. There's no change throughout the entire thing. Isn't Aren't there like isobaric chambers? Isn't that a thing? Like uh, you... Uh, uh, I don't think the word is the isobaric. Word? There are pressure chambers yeah. that... Yeah, yeah I, I mean, they, yeah. they hold you at a constant pressure. So, I mean, hypobaric may be the one you're thinking of. Maybe that is what I'm thinking of. But, but yeah, they, yeah, they are chambers that you, you pump a bunch of gas into it or extract a bunch of gas out of it to hold it at a, whatever pressure you want. Ooh, ooh, but, uh, can I do a quick aside? Uh, very well. <laughs> I'll allow it. Okay. I think it is hyperbaric, right? That's like high pressure assists, uh, chamber then, right? Not isobaric. Uh, but hypobaric chambers, incidentally, I think like a year or two ago, there was an article that talked about at hyperbaric, if you spend a long time in an oxygen-rich hyperbaric chamber, like for like hours a day for like a month or two, they, there was a research paper that showed that they essentially reversed aging. Uh, your your chromosomes, the telomeres at the end of your chromosomes, actually lengthened, and that's the opposite of what happens during aging. Aging is when your your chromosomes break down. Um, so not related to uh, thermodynamics. No, but that's a good teaser. Tune in next time for when we cover the <laughs> basics of immortality. <laughs> so, Which probably um, the audience doesn't need to know that we had that club. Yeah, um, so hyperbaric chamber is, is the one thing. There is a hypobaric chamber, uh, which is often used in altitude training, uh, where they suck a bunch of the air out of it to simulate high-altitude conditions and give you hypoxia. They actually use this a lot in pilot training so that pilots and air crew can recognize the symptoms of hypoxia onset and put on their, their oxygen masks before they black out and die. Uh, awesome. Yeah. I've also heard that Tim sucks the air out of the room as well. That was cruel. Some of my, many of my students go on to become excellent pilots. <laughs> So we have totally derailed and not covered Sorry. isobaric processes okay, at all. We're going back to isobaric now. <laughs> let's imagine that piston, uh, and let's now remove it from the car engine. We have a cylinder, and we have a piston on top. 
But instead of igniting a bunch of fuel spontaneously, we're going to uh, fill the piston with, with, or fill the cylinder with some kind of gas and then set it on a burner on the oven at low heat. Um, the piston that we are going to place on top of it is going to be an idealized massless piston. It is made of, you know, unicorn wishes and fairy dreams. I don't know. Uh, but again, awesome. idealized process. Uh, but it serves to set a physical boundary for the system. Now, as the gas heats up slowly, it will expand, right? Yes, it will. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that's going to push the piston upward. Now, if you heat it slowly, does the pressure inside the piston actually change? No, not as long as it is free to expand upwards. Uh, if you heat the thing slowly, you'll essentially have a isobaric process, a process where the temperature remains the, the same, I'm sorry, where the pressure remains the same, even though both the temperature and volume are changing. The temperature is increasing because I've got a burner underneath it, and the volume is increasing because I am allowing the the gas to expand upwards against this uh, this fairy piston that doesn't exist. <laughs> That's what they now. If if I um, if if I lock the piston in place, my temperature is going to go up, and because you know, because temperature, pressure, volume, and mass are all related together. If one of them is changing, at least one of the other factors also has to change. Um, in my piston example, the amount of mass inside, n, the number of moles, that's not going to change. The temperature is changing because I've got fire under it. The volume is not going to change because for some reason I locked my pressure in, or my, my piston in place. Therefore, the only thing left to change is the pressure and the pressure would go up along with the temperature um, but if i want to have an isobaric process then i unlock my piston and instead of my pressure changing i let my volume change so an isobaric process is one where at the beginning and end states uh, and all throughout the process the pressure is the same although temperature and volume uh, can can change in relation to whatever state equation governs that system. Any questions on isobaric processes? No, I think I've confused the audience or the listeners enough already. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's say I have a, a different piston, and on top of my, uh, my piston, I'm, I'm going to make it made of steel, and I'm going to put a hypobaric chamber on top of it that weighs 1,000 kilograms just to make it really confusing. Um, I, I, I'm kidding. Let, let, let's say that my, my piston, though, it, is no longer made of, of fairy wings, but actually has mass. Uh, and, and I do the same thing. I put it on, I, I put the cylinder with this piston over a burner. I turn the heat up slowly, and I watch as, as the, the fluid inside expands, thus raising the piston. Now, I can still have an isobaric process, but this time, uh, instead of 
just changes in temperature and volume, I'm also doing physical work by raising that piston. And what you'll find is that the mass of that piston dictates the amount of work measured in joules. Work is an energy measurement. And if, if I have a, a mass weighing, you know, one kilogram and a mass weighing two kilograms, well, what you'll find is that for the two kilogram mass, your, your volume will increase by about half as much as the one kilogram mass. Uh, you, it obviously takes less work to raise the, the lower mass. And so your one kilogram piston will expand, I don't know, 10 centimeters uh, linearly. Uh, and, and your two kilogram mass will expand significantly less than that uh, with an appropriate volumetric ratio for the, the change in mass. But that's isobaric processes. And again, these are somewhat idealized because there is always going to be loss through friction or through, uh, you know, heat conduction. All of these examples involving a cylinder and, and a piston assume that the cylinder is a completely enclosed system and thermally isolated. The internal fluid is not going to conduct heat into the walls of the cylinder and the walls of the cylinder are then not going to radiate heat to the outside. We just assume that that doesn't happen here. Um, and, and again, th that type of thing is, are, are the assumptions that you have for these idealized basic processes. And then you can add additional equations to account for those losses uh, and, and make the, the equations more and more complex in order to get better fidelity for, for your designs and so forth. Uh, but that is not for learn it for layman. That is for a different time. <laughs> Apparently neither is isobaric, given that um, I confused it with both hyperbaric and hyperbaric. But now that you've listened to this podcast, you will I not make that. Yeah, see, That's right. there we go. Yep. All right, let's talk about an isothermal process. Isothermal meaning that the temperature stays the same. Um, your fridge. There it is. That's an, an isothermal system. So that's what we call it from now on? The fridge. That's going to get you a lot of friends, I think. You know? Yep. Could you so grab if, some if, drinks if from you, the isothermal system, please? Yeah, but if you look at your refrigerator, are there a number of thermodynamic processes that have to take place? Yes. Yeah, you have to add energy to your refrigerator in order to keep it cold. Now, that's kind of weird. You're adding energy, and yet you get cold inside. Well... All of the different refrigerative processes that take place um, contribute to that system, meaning the internal box of your refrigerator uh, remaining isothermal at a constant vegetable chilling, but not over crisping, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, 20 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm sorry, 20 degrees. No, that's below freezing. See, I don't that. know these things. Yeah. Uh, vegetables would not do well in that situation. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. I, I retract degrees. my statement. Fahrenheit. Yeah. 20 that's degrees. That's what I meant. Uh, 20 degrees Celsius would not go well for vegetables either. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't use our podcast to set your refrigerator <laughs> controls. Um, but again, isothermal processes is one where you can add heat you can change pressure you can change volume 
um, but the temperature of the thing remains the same. Consider water boiling in a pan. Uh, when water boils, it is at a constant temperature, 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I'm adding heat to my system all over the place with my burner underneath there. Um, I'm actually losing mass as the water evaporates. It's not even a closed system, so this isn't a great example because mass is free to escape into the void. Um, but the water itself inside the pan remains at a constant 212 degrees Fahrenheit until it all boils away. So uh, isothermal processes, same temperature. Nice. So is my system, me as a human, I, I maintain a Actually, yes. six degree, uh, so I am isothermal? Yeah, that, that's actually a good example. Um, the human body regulates itself to maintain a temperature of 98-ish degrees. And by and large, if, if you consider all of the biochemical processes that are taking place um, and all of the energy being consumed and, and, and expended and everything else, uh, it, it's actually pretty miraculous how well we maintain our, our, our bodies as, and, and all of those bodily processes as isothermal. Otherwise, we would cook ourselves to death and die. Yes, that would so, yeah. not go well. Thank goodness for isothermal processes. All right. All right. Any other questions on uh, on that one? No, Sorry. but I think that should be our next uh, merchandise uh, offering, a T-shirt that says, thank goodness for isothermic processes. Yeah, bestseller, I'm sure. I, I still like the one, uh, what is it, Mars is bigger than an atom or something? Mars is bigger than a boson. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. that one's what probably people know us for, actually. <laughs> I think we probably need to publish that as a paper. Like, we, we recited it as a peer-reviewed paper, and we probably should make that happen. Well, peer-reviewed for us is not setting a high bar. <laughs> Tim is my peer. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, let's... Uh, before we move, I think you have one or two more to hit on right now. I have two more. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So before you do that, so usually I give you updates on where our listeners are coming from, and that's all great. Um, this time I'm going to make a, uh, a request. So what I want to do, so we're nearing. Are you appealing to the Canadians again? <laughs> no, that's failed. Apparently okay. I don't speak uh, Yukonian. Um, I still have not. I've. We failed at getting Yukon, the Yukon territory interested. However, um, the rest of the world it's is isothermal at, at the wrong temperature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've uh, hypo hypothermal. Anyway, moving whatever. on. Um, yes, exactly. Moving on. Uh, we're we're coming up here in the next few weeks on 100,000 downloads of our podcast, uh, which is a nice milestone for us. So what I'm asking, so we but we need to. I'd like to do this before the end of February. So this, we're recording this in mid-January. Uh, so I'm going to make a plea now and for maybe our next podcast or two to share this so that we can hit that 100,000 downloads before uh, our podcast goes. So we're going to hit uh, three years on our podcast, believe it or not, uh, here at the end of February. And I'd like to get the 100,000 download uh, stage uh, mark before that. So uh, let's, uh, let's keep the... Um, Word of mouth going, you know, tell your 
uh, friends that you don't like. And um, I'm just kidding. Hopefully you're actually sharing this with family and friends. Uh, if not, do that now. Uh, and let's move back into the thermodynamic processes. Tim, you had something? Oh, no, just um, here, here. Share it with your friends and your foes. Why not? <laughs> yeah, if your foes are also in a physics class in college with you. Particularly in the Yukon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt, you may continue. Thank you. Okay, last two processes we're going to talk about are ice enthalpic and uh, isochoric processes. So, ice enthalpic first. Uh, this has to do with the enthalpy of the system. And an isenthalpic, I'm sorry, isoen, isenthalpic or isoenthalpic, apparently both pronunciations are correct. It's a process where the enthalpy of the system is the same at the beginning and the end, just like an isobaric process is the same with, is a process where the pressure is the same. Uh, what is the enthalpy though, Carl? Uh, enthalpy, that's what happens when you go to the bathroom and... Please, we're above that brand of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we actually made it past the ideal gas law without me making you. <laughs> it's the isn't it the Beatles' least known seventh album? What enthalpy? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hmm. live in a. Tim wanted is. to say okay. we all live in an isobaric submarine. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well said. <laughs> anyway, so the enthalpy is. I like to think of it as the internal heat of a system or substance that is not the same as the system's temperature. Uh, enthalpy is, is an energy measurement. It's measured in joules. It's the product of the pressure and volume of the system uh, combined together plus the sum of its internal energy. Now, the the problem is it's really hard to measure internal energy. And so usually when we deal with enthalpy, we deal with changes in enthalpy, um, what it was at the beginning versus what it is at the end. Uh, enthalpy is usually given the symbol H. And so most of the time we're dealing with delta H, the change in H, the change in enthalpy. And so... An ice enthalpic process is any process where the enthalpy doesn't change, where the combination of pressure times volume plus internal energy at the beginning and the end of the process is uh, is zero when when compared, uh, or, or the change between them is zero. Um, so what's a, an isenthalpic process? Uh, well, fluid flow through a, a throttling device would be an isenthalpic process. The, these are ones where you don't have any changes in, there, there's no heat added. Um, and yet you can have significant changes in, in pressure and temperature of the fluid. So uh, generally, when a, a fluid is throttled down, pressure drops, velocity increases, temperature may change. 
Um, but the enthalpy, you haven't added any heat, you haven't done any work on it, you haven't taken anything out of it, uh, the enthalpy of the system is the same at the beginning state as at the end state. Uh, so that's an isoenthalpic process. Um, the last one is a isochoric process or uh, any, any thermodynamic process that takes place at a constant volume. Again, isochoric processes are often, uh, I had learned it as isometric. Um, isovolumetric is, is another one. It's wherever the volume is the same throughout the process. Uh, easy one to think of is your crock pot, or even better, a pressure cooker. Um, but, but with your crock pot, you, you throw stuff in there, you, you add the roast, you add the French onion soup mix and the broth and the potatoes and stuff, and then you start to add heat. Um, and it heats up and the pressure rises because the, uh, the temperature of the air and the, and the fluids inside the crock pot is increasing. Uh, most crock pots do have a little vent, so your mass changes. But the volume of the system, uh, the crock pot itself, unless it is made of like expandable silicon, which would be weird, <laughs> the volume of the system does not change. Uh, your pressure cooker, same thing. And, and in fact, uh, you know, that one, is, is, I understand it. Well, yeah, you, you just increase the temperature, you increase the pressure, but the volume remains the same. And, and this goes back to that ideal gas law, or, or rather just any of these state equations that relate temperature, pressure, and volume and mass all together. Um, and, and the reason that we have all of these processes that we talk about, every single one of them has held something the same throughout. And if I can do that, then, then I reduce some of the variables in my state equations and I can very, I can much more easily make meaningful calculations on the thermodynamic properties of my system. If I didn't have isochoric processes, isobaric processes, isothermal processes, if I didn't have those things, then any time I did anything thermodynamically, I would have four variables that I need to figure out that could all be moving together, pressure, temperature, volume, and mass. But if I can hold one of them constant, uh, then I can very quickly start to derive the others. If I can hold two of them constant, um, then I can, I can very easily see the relationship between the other two, and I can make much more meaningful I can gain much more meaningful insights into the the thermodynamic reactions and changes that are taking place. And in the engineering world, I can then make much better, much better informed and much more safe engineering choices based on that understanding of the thermodynamic environment and states. And so that's it. That's our, our introduction to thermodynamic processes. So is David Bowie uh, familiar with thermodynamic processes? And that's the under pressure song. Is that talking like uh, isometric or isochoric process? Like that's what it's about? Uh, that would be isobaric, probably. 
Beautiful. And as we all know, David Bowie is exempt from being held to the laws of physics. <laughs> so it's an elite club. Yes. To be exempt from those laws. But uh, that's not really related to any of these processes. So no, it isn't. <laughs> um, no, thank you for the uh, the information and the these uh, thermodynamic processes, Matt. Um, You're welcome. I, think... I invented them all myself. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, no, you didn't. But. Um, like I said, let me, let's re- renew one more time. So if you want to share this with uh, friends, family, any of our pro- podcast library, if you want to know a good one to share, the one that is the, uh, well, obviously the most recent one is always a great one to share, but um, Basics of Quantum Physics is one that uh, is our number one hit for whatever reason. Um, and then, aspiring quantum physicists out there. <laughs> our economics podcast is... Uh, Burning the barn, what storm? Storming the barn, burning the burn, burning the burning the storm barn, barn, burning, storming the burning, burning barn. Well, good. Whatever that. Means. <laughs> okay, to be clear, what I was trying to do was a combination of barn burner and bring the house down. <laughs> Bringing down the burning barn. Right, it's uh, what uh, the Amish do before they put up a new one. Yeah. Yeah, Have you ever seen the Amish lift the barn and move it? Uh, no. You said YouTube that. It's like literally like 100 Amish guys, and they just literally pick up a fully computer barn and just walk it over to wherever it's going. It's crazy. It's the power tools before there were power tools. Don't mess with the Amish, man. Don't do it. Uh, Then we've got... uh, Basics of calculus and physics. Uh, we've got computer science. Uh, those are some of our, our hits, I guess you could say. So, um, you, uh, I, I'm grateful for everyone that's listening. Go ahead and share it. And one other thing, um, we ha- do have both uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, our new podcast get pushed to Facebook and Twitter as well. I know a lot of people follow us on Spotify. I think you all get notified when we. Um, when we have a push a new podcast on Spotify, but also like us on Facebook, we've had a nice review or two there. So appreciative to people there. And then the big one, I guess, we don't currently have a lot of people tuning. Most of our thousands of listeners come to us via Spotify. Uh, we need uh, an Apple audience. Uh, it probably doesn't help that we've offended them in the past. So we apologize. Matt, you apologize. No, I don't. That doesn't help. All right. Anyway, uh, share this with your Apple-loving friends, regardless. And or don't. Uh, they don't deserve it. <laughs> this isn't helping. All right. Well, we'll sorry. Uh, we'll... Disclaimer: My own views, though correct, do not reflect <laughs> those of Learn It from a Layman or anyone else on this podcast. But I'm right. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, then we will. We'll uh, did, be back. Did you want to ask about uh, suggestions? Oh, well, we do have suggestions, and one specific – one of our listeners in India mentioned that if we could improve our uh, audio quality – so we're going Oh, to I meant for, like, topics, you know, submit topics for them or, or that Well, that we too. Cover. Any, any of these suggestions – we've gotten lots of suggestions. We've had people we ask about uh, – well, a lot – yeah. Well, I mean, we've had people um, ask about uh, how we got our jobs – uh, we've had, like I said, the uh, man really? in India recently. We've actually had people 
we really have had people ask us questions. Yeah, we have. Where? Yep. Wow. Mostly on Facebook. Oh. Uh, like I said, so either Facebook or Twitter, I do uh, respond on those. And then we also <laughs> uh, we have an email, so I think that's available on our uh, on our website as well, uh, which is learnitfromalayman.podbean.com. And uh, yeah, any of those ways you can get in contact with me. Let me know what you think, and uh, follow us on Spotify or review us on Apple. And all of those things are helpful to us. Uh, we don't make any money off this right now, so you're welcome. Uh, we're just sharing the wealth, the wealth, and our insights, and sometimes our uh, lack thereof. And uh, we'll be back again next podcast. Covering immortality, apparently.